Okay, I want to look at this, the two psukim. Perekav Dalet, Pasukim, not the first psukim that are printed, but the, um, the last two psukim. There's a story, right? And the story, the story says this. Vayetzei ben Isha Yisraelit, vuhu ben Ish Mitzri, betoch b'nei Yisrael, so there's some kind of a story. The interesting thing about this story, the immediate interesting thing about the story is that names are not named, but references are made. It's almost as if the Torah says, if you work at it a little, you'll be able to figure out who we're talking about. Because the Torah says, Ben Ishai Yisraelit. Ben Ishai Yisraelit, someone who had a Jewish mother, Ru Ben Ish Mitzri, and he had a non-Jewish father. And there's Vayinatzu Ba Ba Machane Ben Yisraelit Ve'Ishai Yisraelit. Vayinatzu means that they they had a fight. They had a fight. And then what happened as a result was Vayikalel. I'm sorry, Vayikov ben Aisha Yisraelit et Hashem, something terrible. The son of the Yisraelit cursed et Hashem. Vayichalel. Vayaviotol Moshe, and they brought him to Moshe Rabbeinu, they caught him doing this terrible thing, and they brought him to Moshe Rabbeinu. I mean, it's kind of a... If you just look at the sentence, the sentence is so... Um, it's, it's kind of clumsy. Like, like, what's the story here? I mean, the, the continuation of the story is that they locked him up and they didn't know what to do. And finally, Moshe Rabbeinu received the information about what punishment should be meted out to him. Well, we're interested in these two psukim. We're interested in these two psukim that describe an event. And it describes an event. Ben Haisha HaYisraelit, he cursed God. Well, I mean, why call him Ben Haisha HaYisraelit? We know that Ben Haisha HaYisraelit is a Jew. So it's the same as saying, a Jewish man did this. What do you have to say in such an odd way? Why can't you just say, a person got into a fight and cursed God? I mean, this is, uh, that's, that's, those are the important elements of the story. It's hard to understand what all this extra information is about. So you have to look, learn Rashi. We have to learn Rashi. The first thing, see Rashi and Pasekut, we're skipping the beginning. The first Pesukim, we'll come back to them. But the Rashi and Pasekut, Vayetzei ben Isha Yisraeli. Do you have that? The left hand column is Rashi. About halfway down, or towards the end of the narrow lines, Vayetzei ben Isha Yisraeli. So Rashi says, Meichan Yatsa. So Rashi sensitizes us to the fact that the story is told in an odd way and that that verb Vayetze 
he went out doesn't connect to anything right in, in other words the way we read it is right say right this guy went out we don't mean he went out we mean he went to when we say it when we say he went out to he went out to do something we don't mean he came from someplace we mean he went to someplace right nevertheless Rashi, I mean based on Chazal of course, is concerned about the fact that Vayetze has a primary meaning that's hidden. And that primary meaning is he went out from someplace, right? He left A, he left the building, right, to go to someplace. And so according to Rashi, this becomes the essence of the story. There's like a remez here that there was a cause that that is not mentioned, that's not clarified in the Torah, which resulted in this event. Right? Vayetze, that's what Vayetze means according to Rashi. There was a cause, and the cause was whatever it was, and it resulted in this event. Now, what was the cause? So Rashi quotes Chazak. Rabbi Levi Omer me olamo yatsa. Me'olamo yatsa. He left his world. And Rabbi Rechia me'mi parsha shalemala yatsa. So let's, so now the Gemara is, the Rashi and the Gemara is going to explain these two opinions, the, the opinion of, me, uh, of uh, parasha shalemala yatsa first. So what's the parasha shalemala? Now let's look at those other psukim. There's a mitzvah in the Torah to bake 12 challahs every week. And those 12 challahs are brought to the Beit HaMikdash. So you know that there's a shulchan in the Beit HaMikdash. And those on that shulchan you can put these twelve chalot. And you put them on a kind of a gizmo, like a marech. There's some kind of thing that you put on the shulchan which holds the chalot. Like, so you don't just throw the chalot on the table in a bag, but you slip them. If you ever see these books with pictures of the, the mishkan, which I guess everybody has seen when their children or grandchildren learn these parashiyot. So the you have like a thing on the shulchan, and you put, you slide the chalot into it. So, so there's a mystery. You have to put it there for some reason. You have to do it. We don't know. Now, the Torah says this. Biyom HaShabbat. Biyom HaShabbat Hashem Tamid. That means these twelve chalot appear every Shabbat and are placed on the Shulchan once a week. Tamid. Forever and ever. Not the same Chalot. New Chalot. Every week. Tamid. Made B'nai Yisrael Brit Allah. And this is some kind of a covenantal act. I mean a lot of Sukkim here that are difficult. What do you do with the chalot, with the old chalot? The ones that you 
that are replaced, the replacement chalot, well, they turn out to be one of the things, one of the matanot that you give to Aaron HaKohen. He gets to eat these chalot, right? Vachlu b'mekom kadosh, and you eat them in the Beit HaMikdash, you can't eat them anyplace else. Ki kodesh kadoshim hu lo Hashem chok olam. So, these are special chalot, eaten in a special place by special people who are called Kohanim. Okay? That's the story. That's the story of the Chalot. Of the Chalot. To which uh, Rashi uh, Rashi says uh, Rashi explains Rashi explains a little bit about the, uh, the Chalot. But let's go back now to our Rashi. Right? Our Rashi is in Pasuk Yud where he said Ben Isha Isha Yisraeli Ve'chan Yatsah now, let's start from the second interpretation. That's how it works in Chazal. Very often when, when, the, when there's a presentation, it's A or B. What is B? What is A? That's how it, it's, it's often explained. So here, Rabbi Berechia Amar, Vayetzei, refers to the parashat Shalimala, the previous parashat. So he says, also, that they put on new chalot on Shabbat. So this guy said, this guy said, what do you mean? I mean, the king eats fresh chalots. I mean, you don't need old chalots. You don't give the king old chalots to eat. Oshema can you imagine the king eating pat that was nine days old because they had to make it on the Thursday before get it ready for Friday and took it back on Shabbos so that's nine days so, so, uh, so uh, it's hard to understand it's hard to understand what, what's going on it's, it's as though this Midrash says, tries to explain, how did this guy work up the nerve to curse God? I mean, after all, I mean, you would think that somebody who left Mitzrayim and saw all the miracles uh, would be a little bit circumspect before he started doing something like that. So this Midrash says, Vayetzei, he said, oh, Maybe the king is not such a great king. And maybe that the power has been dissipated somehow. Because after all, what do we know about a king? We know that a king eats fresh chalas. And here we're talking about eating chalas that are nine days old. Ridiculous. That's by Yetzay. That he left the above parasha. That the above parasha suddenly realized that God is not so strong, that God is not so great, that the whole thing is like sort of just a, 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 a tower built on, on cards. Continuation. Umatnita <coughs> Amra, right? There's another writer that says, Bibeti Noshel Moshe Yatsa Mechuyav. That what happened with this guy? What's the word for Yetzay? Vayetzei mi beiti noshel Moshe 
Mechuyav. Which means that he came to the court of Moshe Rabbeinu with a, a Tviya. He wanted something. Yatsa Mechuyav. But he wasn't, he didn't get it. But, Lita O'alo Betoch Machane Dan. Right, you see the last pasuk. It says, "Shem Shemi Moshlo Mipat Divri Lematayda." Yes. So he came. He was his mother was a real Jewish woman from the tribe of Dan. And what did he want? He wanted to set up his home in the area that belonged to Dan. Amrulo Mati Chalakan. They said to him, what are you doing here? Only people who can live in Dan are people whose fathers come from Dan. Right? So what are you doing here? So he said to them, my mother is from Dan. I mean, I, I, I belong here. The signs of the tribes. Each tribe had a different sign. And where did you go to live? You lived with your father. You lived in the tribe of Beit Avotam. As a result, he cursed. Right? So, what is Rashi trying to explain to us? Rashi is trying to say that there is a hidden story in the Psukim in the Torah. And the hidden story is the why. Even though, as far as the court of Moshe Rabbeinu was concerned, it didn't matter why he cursed God. I mean, what difference does it make? He did an Avera. And since he did an Avera, he's going to be punished, and that's the end of the story. However, Rashi says that the Torah wants us to know the story as well. What brought him to, to, to sin? However, the story is so terrible that you can't, that the Torah couldn't write it. So the Torah just alluded to it. And the allusion to the story of why he did what he did is all in that word Vayetze. Right? All in that word Vayetze. And according to the way Rashi makes the presentation, there are two reasons. One is, he learned something about the, uh, the, for the parasha of the Lechem Panim that God is not so great. There's not such a, that there's something, or that there's something crazy about what the Torah says. And the second part is that he went to Beit Yidosh Moshe in order to argue that he deserves to be able to set up his tent in the, with Machane Dan, and he lost and he lost that case. And he lost, he lost that case. Then Rashi goes on and he explains further. But let's, let's look at the Ramban. Let's look at the Ramban. The Ramban says, Vayetzei ben ish Yisraelit ta'amo vayetzei betoch b'nei Yisrael. Vayetzei betoch b'nei Yisrael. Meaning, what does the Ramban say? that this does not refer to where he came from, but it refers to where he's going to. That sometimes you could say Vayetzei, to go out, but you mean to come in. Like, where did he go? Vayetzei, 
He went to the city. So the Ramban, the Ramban disagrees with Rashi. According to Rashi, the word Vayetze means, what's the source? Where does the story come from? Where did he go out from? Meaning, where did he go out from physically? And where did he go out from conceptually? What was his issue? But the Ramban says, no. The Vayetze means he went over there. He went there. The Chaim, and, and, and similarly, in this case, the Ramban says, no hidden messages. The simple pshat. And that, that, he, this guy, went from his tent, from his place, I mean, Rashi, of course, is representing Chazal, whereas the Rabban is representing Pshat. That's how, that's how it is. The Ta'am Bamachaneh, why does it say, Vayinatsu Bamachaneh, why is it enough to say, Vayetzei, Vayetzei ben Isha Yisrael ben Betoch ben Yisrael, why do you have to say Bamachaneh? Of course he was in the Machaneh, he was in the camp. When he went from his house into wherever he went, that's the machaneh. So he says, he says, v'tam b'machaneh ki aitam riva b'machaneh v'shamu rabim v'tavsubo v'yaviu to el Moshe ha'olva. So Rashi, so the Ramban says that the meaning of the word b'machaneh is in public. This all happened in public, and therefore they caught him right away, and they took him, and they brought him to Moshe Rabbeinu, I and mean, it was it was in public because just because he left his house and went into the machaneh, into the area, and then had a fight with a guy, doesn't mean that everybody saw it. It may be true that not everybody saw it. The time he's here zebikan, the time he's here zebikan. So now Rashi has another, the Ramban, sorry, the Ramban has a, another issue. Okay, so if it's not a story, and it's a story that happened, how come it's put next to the story of the Lechem Apanim? What's the connection? He says, oh, there I have to use Chazal. Right? If you ask me what the connection is in the order of things, the chronology in the Torah, why Lechem the Mitzvah of is followed by the story of the Mekaleh, so then I, I have to use Chazal, and Chazal said, He said something terrible about the gifts to God, the Lechem Apanim, and now he makes up, the Ramban makes up a totally different story. Or maybe it's not a totally different story. So, so there are two stories. There are two stories. The way Rashi tells the story, and the way the Ramban tells the story, you can argue that maybe the way the Ramban tells the story is the real story. But anyway, what he said was this. According to Rashi, What's the connection between the previous parish and the present parish? Well, he said maybe the connection was 
that in the previous parasha he saw that maybe he had some, some question about the greatness of God or the power of God because God was going to eat old lachmaniot or they, they would eat kohanim, would eat old lachmaniot. So maybe it's not such a big deal which brought him to curse God. According to the Ramban, according to the Ramban, that was the issue. He came out into public, into the public, he said, listen to this Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu just taught us about lechem apanim. What did Moshe really teach us? That God is happy to eat, that the Kohanim should eat old fatrukin dechalak. You know, like this is, you know, in, uh, in Israel, this is a major, this is a major transgression, right? You know, uh, uh, I mean, before I, 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 uh, I came to Israel, I thought that, uh, you know, bread, if you get it in a bag, it lasts forever. You know, you just take it, you just open up and you just keep eating it, I mean. Then I learned, my children taught me that there's a special test that you make. You push your finger in the bread, and if it jumps up at a certain rate, it's called fresh. But less than that rate, and you can't fool them. And that's why you have, you have people trudging every day in the six o'clock in the morning to Makola to get a Lachmaniyah. This is like uh, absolutely unbelievable. But I think it is true that in Israel they don't use um, preservatives as much as they do in, in chutzlaretz, and so for an obvious reason, the bread doesn't last as long. Anyway, it's like an issue. So here comes this guy, and he's he's in the according to the Ramban, he's out in the field, he's out in the field, and he's saying he's talking about Torah that he just learned. He said like this is ridiculous. I mean, there, there's no fresh bread in the in the, the base of Mishnah, even though you know that there was a miracle. And the, the bread was fresh. And when the Kohanim ate the bread, they did eat fresh. Uh, that's what we, we don't have a miracle. So we have to go to the Makolet every day to get another Lachmaniyah. But the Kohanim, even though they were eating bread that was nine days old, it was perfectly fresh. It was like, it was like just baked. Just recently baked. So the Ramban says, that's what they were fighting about. This guy goes out there and he says, this is ridiculous, they're eating cotton, they're eating stale bread. And so he got into a fight and he cursed, he cursed God. And so we still don't know exactly what the story is. The second story, which is mentioned in Rashi, but not mentioned in the Ramban, is the story about where he's going to pitch his tent. This guy from Dan, who had a Jewish mother, but a non-Jewish father, of course he wanted to pitch his tent in Dan, and he went to court, they didn't want to let him, they said, look, we know the Torah, the Torah says only men inherit in the Shevet, right, and not daughters, you remember the story of Lord this was an issue, but he was not supposed to inherit, and so because of that he was angry, and because he was angry he cursed, he cursed God, and um, and the, and, and the Ramban also disagrees about the word Vayetzei. He disagrees about the word Vayetzei. He says that the, the word uh, the word Vayetzei doesn't mean he went from something, but it could mean that he went to something. That's what the that's what the Ramban uh, said. In parentheses, the Ramban, let's go on to the Ramban a little bit, and we'll see how the Ramban, how the Ramban continues. 
Why is one called Ben Yisraelit and the other one is called Ha'isha Yisraelit? Lord wrote, Kiyove Gilim, which means a, an idolater, Habal Bat Yisrael, Havlad Eino Yisraeli. Right, so there's a halacha. That if a, a idolater has relations with a Jewish woman and they have a child, then the Vlad is not considered to be Jewish. He says, even though in the Gemara it seems to say the opposite, that the child of a Jewish woman is always a Jewish child, nevertheless, the, this child is problematic, right? Because she can't say, you know, Yisraeli. So the Ramban explains that even though the rule generally is that a child born of a Jewish woman is considered to be Jewish, nevertheless, when it comes to Yichus, when it comes to uh, uh, matters of Yichus, he certainly doesn't have any Yichus because his father was not Jewish. And, and since you need Yichus in order to inherit the land in Eretz Yisrael, so he's not, he's not an inheritor. He's not an inheritor. Benachlas ha'oretz. Ki l'shmos matot avotam katuv bahem. U'mashamah b'tarat kohanim. V'toch b'nei Yisrael melame shenit gayer. Eino sheyitztarech b'geirut. He says, there's another source that says, V'toch b'nei Yisrael. You see, pasuk yud. V'uben ish mitzri v'toch b'nei Yisrael. You see those, those words? So the Medrash says that that the father also became Jewish. It doesn't mean that the child who was born needs to be Miguyar. But everybody knows that every child, every child is kind of inducted into Am Yisrael, just as the Jews were inducted into Am Yisrael when they stood at Har Sinai. In fact, the, the whole process of Giyur, as you know, the Rambam says in Elchot Yisrael Biyah that the, that the process of Giyur is akin to Am Yisrael standing at Har Sinai and receiving the Torah. So every child, every male child who goes through a Brit Milah is kind of inducted into the Jewish people. So that's what the Betok B'nei Yisrael uh, uh, refers to. Avon et kavnu lamar shehalach achar imo v'nidbak b'Yisrael. This is what the Pasuk means according to the Ramban. So look again. Vayitzei ben Isha Yisrael, itul ben Isha Mitri, Betok B'nei Yisrael. That even though his father was not Jewish, he accepted the Jewishness of the larger community around him. I mean, technically, he was a Jew, but practically, he might have ended up as an idolater. He might have ended up uh, in some other religious uh, 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 group. So he said, no, he accepted, the, he accepted Judaism. Shalach ha'chayim lo'vedibak b'Yisrael. V'zet ham b'toch b'nei Yisrael, sh'yayi mahem. V'loratzala lechet achrei aviv liot mitzri. That's what the Ramban says. 
But he didn't want to be an Egyptian. He didn't want to be an idolater. He didn't want to act that way. But he wanted to be like his mother. There's another source that said that he was like a mamzer, even though there were no mamzerim there before, before Matan Torah. So we don't pass in that way. So, so here the Ramban is trying to kind of sew up some loose ends. And what the Ramban actually does is increase our feeling for the tragedy of what's going on. Here's a child, or the Jewish mother, and a non-Jewish father, and he accepted the, the mores of his mother. He wanted to be part of Klau Yisrael, and he, he met up with a wall. He met up with a wall which, which uh, to him, seemed to be totally unfair. Seemed to be totally unfair, and as a result, as a result, he... Uh, he did the, uh, the, the most serious act of disrespect for the way God runs the world that is imaginable. So this is, this is a kind of, um, of an introduction for us. So we're learning Chumash, right? So you know that in the world today, if you look at the Torah, and you look at the demands of the Torah, you see that sometimes the Torah creates tragedy. So the Torah creates a tragedy. I mean, if somebody, if some, if some, uh, some woman was married and, and, and improperly divorced, and she didn't know she was improperly divorced, then she got remarried, so her children are Babzerim, she doesn't even know. Children, and then they become Dalai Chuva, right? You know these kind of stories? Uh, I mean, that's a tragedy, right? It's a, it's a, it's a terrible thing. So you can say, so, so what do I need, what do I need Mamzerim for? I mean, what's the, what's the advantage to creating, to having a, a regulation that creates a tragedy? So according to the Ramban, I mean, this person, this, this uh, 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 man, who was, who was the son of a Jewish woman, and who accepted who accepted the demands of Judaism. Right? Accepted. He wanted to be he'd go in the path of his mother. He wanted to be with his mother. He didn't want to deny or reject or oppose. He went to the highest authority, right? He went to the highest, he went to Moshe Rabbeinu for Psaq. That itself, that itself is an acceptance. I mean, he accepted the Torah. This is what the Ramban is trying to emphasize to us. He didn't, uh, he didn't squat. He didn't become a dudnik. He didn't get a little army. He didn't annoy his neighbors and throw rocks at them. He, he, he was as straight as straight could be. And he went to the best of Moshe Rabbeinu. Even though they told him, the lower courts told him, no, 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 the Psach is going to go against you. Because the Torah says, Ish al diglo. That's what it says. The Torah demands that the property in Eretz Yisrael, now as an aside, I want you to remember, who left, who left the sojourn of B'nai Yisrael from Mitzrayim to uh, from Mitzrayim to Eretz Yisrael, who left? Yitro left. Why did Yitro leave? Why did Yitro leave? Because Yitro 
with a with an inheritance. And so what did they do? What did Moshe Rabbeinu tell him? What did Moshe Rabbeinu tell him? That he would get he would be able to get when he came to Eretz Yisrael that he would get Dushna Shel Yericho. If you remember those words. Dushna Shel means that the the preferred the special part of Yericho. He would get that. He would, what did that mean? That he would get Dushna Shel Yericho. It meant this. But you know that it took 400 years for Bnei Yisrael, from the time they went into Eretz Yisrael to build the Beit HaMikdash. Now the Beit HaMikdash was built on land that was taken away from which Shevet, or which Shvatim actually, but which Shevet gave most of the land for the Beit HaMikdash, Yehuda. And that land that was taken away from Yehuda, who did it belong to? When it was taken away, so who got it? Who, what? All the, all the Jews. In other words, the Beit HaMikdash was built on land which happened to be within the confines of the territory of Yehuda, but it belonged to everybody. So this land was subtracted from Yehuda. Whatever Yehuda got in the, in the Chalukah, he got less. Because it was taken away. That was taken away. So his compensation... What was the compensation that Yehuda got for the land that was taken away? That's what Yehuda got. So that means that for the 400 years until the Beit HaMikdash was built, that land, was held, we would call it today, in escrow. Yes? Right, okay. Right, like the Shadim. Right? That's why we say the Shanim. Yeah, good. But I think it's the opposite. We say it because it says Dushna. And it's like we invented the word the Shanim. But Einochinam. Einochinam, it's fine. So, 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 but listen again. So, what did Moshe Rabbeinu say to Yitro? What did Moshe Rabbeinu say to Yitro? Okay, you can't get a Nachalov, but we'll give you Dushna Shal Yerichom. What do you will give it to you? We'll give it to you for 400 years. What happens after the 400 years to your children and your grandchildren and their children? I don't know. But that was the offer that Moshe Rabbeinu was able to make to Yitro to try to ask him not to leave because Yitro was an important personality. But Yitro realized, apparently, that he could not participate in in the continued uh, kind of Yitziat Mitzrayim and Knisal Eretz Yitzrayim, he couldn't so he left. What happened to his children? His children stayed children, grandchildren, right? They were the children of Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? So there were other, other people who stayed, right? They come up again and again. So this person that we're talking about, this person that we're talking about is living in the same tragedy as Yitra. A tragedy that doesn't have a solution. Like the tragedy of Mabzeirut doesn't have a solution. Doesn't have a solution. 
I mean, the solution is to, to avoid the problem somehow. But here, again, this guy was born. He didn't make the problem. He inherited the problem. So Vayikov, what he did was, what, what is Vayikov? What, what is it, how would you define it? How can we define it to ourselves? I mean, what, what does it mean to curse God? Does it mean anything? Is it like a formula? Like the Torah says, here are 250 standard curses for God. Please avoid them at all costs. I mean, what does it mean? The, the, the Pasuk says, the Pasuk says, I mean, do you, do you have any thought of what it was he said? Or what does it mean to, to curse God? I mean, I mean, how do you do that? How do you... We understand that God could curse. And God could bless. What does it mean to curse God? What? I mean, like theology. Okay, you mean every person who doesn't believe in something, he's, he's cursing God? And cursing sounds like, in, like, a, uh, like a positive thing, like something you do. But maybe, maybe you're right. That's what? What? Okay, but here it doesn't. It's true that the word blessing is, uh, is also used as curse. That's true, but there's a difference between a blessing that's a blessing and a blessing that's a curse. It's the same word, but there's still a difference. I think, I think what Vayikov, yeah? But Vayikov is also the same church as in a book, like, calls to a different. So basically you're saying that perhaps, perhaps Hashem didn't even provide for this situation. It's such a curse he said that Hashem is laughing. Right. It's a hole. It's right. a great right. problem, right? You know, two separate things. So by your perhaps there's holes. Okay. Okay, good. Now you can come and say the rest of the shit. <laughs> That's good. I would say it this way. I, I would say it this way. That that to to believe in God implies that you of emet and of what we call today like morality and ethics right Vayikov is to say you say maybe there's a hole in God it's not the same word this is nun kuf bet and that's kuf bet hey usually in the dictionaries but I don't care if you were Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch you would say what you said because he didn't care about, about dictionaries he put all these words together but, but so, so you could do that. It's, it's all right with me. But they're, they're really two different words, according to the dictionary entries. But if you say, if you say that God is not the source of truth, or God is not, uh, does not act justly, that's a kind of a curse. And that's what Moshe, that's what Adam Ravinu said. When Avraham said to Hakadosh Baruch about stone, how could you kill everybody in stone? And what did he mean? He meant, look, I have to explain to the world what God's justice is. If I can't explain it, if I can't explain it, then they'll they'll reject God as a source of justice, and that's why he goes. That's a klala. That's a klala to to defame the notion that God is the source for us. Of, of tzedek and emet 
and, uh, and uh, uh, moral and ethical principles that are comprehensible to us. Right? Because in some way, on some level, God has to be comprehensible. It's true that if there's a paraduma, something that doesn't affect human interaction or, the, or, or create tragedy, like the paraduma is metaher et atmeim Okay? So God says, look, this you're not going to understand. I can put up with that. I could put up with it, but if God says, if the Torah would say, kill everybody who's bald, that I couldn't understand. But I can't do that. I can't, I, I, I can't be in that kind of world. A world in which I have no way of understanding how God directs interaction. So here you have a tragedy. Somebody wants to be like everybody else. And he's been like everybody else all his life. And he goes to the highest court in the world of the Torah. And the highest court, the world of the Torah says, look, you're the son of your mother, but you're not the son of your father. And since you're not the son of your father, you're not going to get a, a place in the tribe of Dan, which means you're not going to get an inheritance when you come to Eretz Yisrael, which means that you're not part of the process. Can you think of anything more tragic than telling a Jew who left Mitzrayim and who was at Har Sinai and was on his way to Eretz Yisrael that he's not part of the process. All he can do, I mean, he can schlep along, but it's not for him, he's not there. And therefore, this caused that profound reaction of Klala, of Klala. So we still don't really understand why Rashi quoted the other story about the Lechem Hapani. That he, uh, he felt that the Lechem Apanim was, uh, was an indication that God could be cursed or something of that sort. Now if you turn, uh, if you turn over the, uh, the page, let's look at the Meshulah. Let's look at the Meshulah. There's another Ramban that we learned, but I like the, uh, you could do that. You could do it on your own. Look at the Meshulah. The Meshulah, if you remember, the Meshulah, Ishvitz, had his own way of looking at things very often and um, for us it's interesting because I think that the, the Meshilov was a modern commentary uh, at the end of the 19th century and he, he had to deal with it he had to make sense out of this or he tried to make sense out of it so listen to what he says Dan, he quotes uh, the Rashi, basically. In other words, the parasha of Mikalel is not just a halacha. The Torah could have said, if somebody is Mikalel, this is his punishment. Instead, the Torah says, tells a story. He did it, and then they caught him, and they put him to jail. That's not true that for every mitzvah, uh, the Torah says that. The Torah says, uh, uh, you're not allowed to curse your father. You're not allowed to, to steal uh, another Jew. They're not to tell a story every time. So it just tells us laconically what the hell is. Do this, don't do that. That's what, that's what the Torah says. But in this case, the case of the Kalev, there's a story. So along comes uh, the the Meishu Rafli says this. Alzeh nichtav b'parashat mekalel 
להראות עד היכן צריך האדם להרחיק עצמו מכל מיני תרמות תרעומת. To separate himself from being annoyed, from being angry, from being distraught. Sheha Mikaleh, this person that we're talking about, since he was separated, set aside from the camp of Israel, he left the Beit of Moshe Rabbeinu Chayav, meaning he lost the case. He said, I want to plant my tent with the people in Dan, and he lost. Amad He got up and he, and he cursed. And here the Meshilach says, Avshet chilat kavanato haya l'shem shamay. He takes it head on. He says, this guy, what did he want after all? He wanted to be included in Yitziat Mitzrayim and Knisal Eretz Yisrael. He wanted to do the mitzvah of getting a nachala. So he says, which means that he wanted to do God's will. That's what he's going to court about. He's not going to court to subtract himself or exclude himself from doing mitzvot. Adiraba, he's going to court to be included in doing mitzvot. Shiratzah sheye natua b'machane Yisrael. He wanted to be planted within the camp of Yisrael. Lefishaya ish Yisraeli mitzad imo. I mean, he knew that. He knew that was the halacha. That's why he was going. He didn't want to. He didn't want to do less mitzvot. He wanted more obligations. He wanted to have to go to war when he came to Eretz Kanaan. Ayadei said, "Chayalo kavanatova." He really wanted to do the right thing. Rakatar omet shayalo achar nitrachek. Haya mitzad shaya ish mitzvi. He says the the Meshilah says, you see, everything is a problem in life. How is it possible for what is the story telling? How is it possible for a person who's acting the Shem Shammai to curse God? So his shot in the story is because his father was an Ish Mitzri. even though he doesn't say it, there's no doubt in my mind, that he's working off the model of Moshe Rabbeinu. Like Moshe Rabbeinu is the greatest L'shem Shamayim person that there ever was. Because Moshe Rabbeinu understood what God wanted of us better. 
than anybody else. And yet, the, 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 the punishment that Moshe Rabbeinu received was the greatest punishment that has ever been meted out to a human being. To the best of my knowledge, Avram Avinu was not punished, and Yitzchak was not punished, Yaakov Avinu was sort of punished, but still he lived a full life, he had children, everything continued. Was there another person whose dream was to come to Eretz Yisrael as it was Moshe Rabbeinu's dream? I, can you imagine whatever the Aveira that Moshe Rabbeinu did? I, I mean, I can imagine an Aveira that would deserve the punishment that your whole life was, was kind of not going to be fulfilled. You were not going to get. And it wasn't that he died a natural death. It wasn't that he was old and he died along the way. The Torah is quite clear about that. He was young. He was well. He could have gone to Eretz Yisrael without a doubt, but HaKadosh Baruch said no. And so you see that what is it that a Jew is required to do? He says, you look at Moshe Rabbeinu, he wants to do what God tells him to do. And even if what God tells you to do is, 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 is terrible, is tragic, is unbelievable, something that other people would not be able to, to suffer, the person who works the Shem Shemayim is able to absorb, and say that, to absorb the hit. Right? You can do it. So, Moshe Rabbeinu was told he couldn't go to Eretz Yisrael. He continued to be Moshe Rabbeinu. But the Mekaleh, was told with finality, went to the highest court in the land, that he would not be part of Am Yisrael, that like Yitro, he would not get, he would not get a, a, a place in Eretz Yisrael. The response of Yitro was not a rejection of God, but it was a rejection of the process in history. He said, I'm not part of the process. And the Kalel had nowhere to go back to. So he just rejected, he rejected God's decision making uh, a wing. He, did, he rejected the court and he said, uh, he says, I'm on the fifth line, towards the middle, in the middle, who's called Hashem? Also, Yeshua is called Eved Hashem, but Moshe Rabbeinu is called Eved Hashem. Eved means the Kabbalat Ol Malchut Shemaim. Even if it creates the greatest disappointment uh, 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 imaginable, it's still within the context of L'Shem Shemaim. You want to do even that? Because that's what God wants you to do. And he says, Kigon Balmum Mizera Aharon. Baalmum is there, someone whose father is a Kohen, right, even the Kohen Gadol, and he finds out that he's a Baalmum and he can't do the Avodah, I mean, is that fair? Isn't that a tragedy? Some a child is born, and he's born into the Kahuna, I mean, this is his dream, he wants to serve God in the Beit HaMikdash, oh, he can't do it. That this Kohen is a Baalmum who has a blemish, he gets tremendous reward 
will be seeing that also as part of God's will. He says, but someone who is not purely from Am Yisrael, who had a father who tried to inject strange ideas into his heart, even though his decision was to be uh, like his mother and not like his father, along comes the Meshiloch and the Meshiloch says, Ba'iv'at. He's going to kick away. At some point, he's not going to be able to accept the yoke of heaven when it seems to him that the act is, is lacks justice. So I would say that the pshat, if we try to tie all these ideas together, would say that, you know, when, when the Mekaleh left the court and he wanted to complain in public, as the Ramban says, as people are wont to do. And today they go to the newspapers and they complain to the newspapers that are happy to, to print immediately all of the annoying complaints that people make. So what did he want to say? He said, you know, the system is really not fair. Look at the Lechem HaPanim. Look at what the Kohanim get. The Kohanim was serving us, and they are working on our for our benefit. What do they get? They get the old chalas, the chalas that my children wouldn't eat, Mishum Ofen, right? They would never partake in them. That's what they give the Kohanim. And you see, it's true about every stage of, of justice. There's a lack of consideration and fairness, and that's what the Mikhail said. And as a result, he denied the authority that there was a Kedusha in the decision that had to be accepted even beyond understanding. Along comes the Meshiloch. And the Meshiloch says, look, you know, that's a problem. It's a problem in, it's a problem in reality. Well, everybody has this problem. I mean, if I could translate the Meshiloch, right? We are... We are the, the children of our parents, but we're also influenced by things that go on around us. And when we say something is fair or something is not fair, it's not always easy for us to accept this idea that anything minashamayim is right and fair if it looks to us as though it was less than fair. And so the Mikhalen, who represents the person who is influenced in a variety of ways. He's influenced by his mother, who taught him Torah. He's influenced by his father, who taught him other things. Whether he did convert or he didn't convert, I mean, that remains unclear as the Ramban, as the Ramban points out. And so the Mikhalel is a person with a difficulty. And according to the Meshiloch, the story of the Mikhalel, is included because it doesn't represent a unique event in history. It doesn't represent something, wow, can you imagine a thing like this happening? Oh, it happened once. It's like we say about the Ben Sarah Romore, 
Some things we can't even imagine. So the Torah says, you know, you can imagine this actually happened. But it's more than that. Because there are stages on the way to becoming a Mikalel et Hashem. There are stages, infinite number of stages of denial, of thinking, maybe this is not fair, and maybe that is not fair, and maybe this should be reinterpreted or redesigned, etc. But according to the Meshimah, the religious position is the acceptance that everything we do and everything that happens to us is L'Shem Shema. That somehow in the greater scheme of things, in the greater scheme of sometimes beyond what we can see, the Rambam also says, not only Hasidus, you know, how many times in life have we said, have you wanted something, you applied for something, you, you asked for something, you hoped for something, and you didn't get it. And what you got instead was so good that it was hard to imagine a priori that you would, that you would be happy with it. But you're not just happy, you were overwhelmed and, and joyous that you got that other, that other bracha. That's what the Rabbim says at the moment. The bracha is the one, the, 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 uh, the, the it's a, it's a lesson in acceptance of divine will. That once you start evaluating the Torah, and say, well, you know, here the Torah is good for me, here the Torah is not good for me. So then, then you're not, uh, you're missing out on the, on the, 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 um, on the religious personality. The religious personality is able to be accepted of the, of the Torah's position and of whatever hand he's been dealt, he or she has been dealt in, in this life. Um, I'm not sure whether this uh, notion seems to you to be optimistic or pessimistic. But on Mozart, I hope that it's, you take it as optimistic, right? And that there's goodness even where it doesn't seem to us at first uh, that it exists. Have a good shot.